The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. This week, we discuss terminal rates, the Inflation Reduction Act, and July's rebound. It's been another exciting week in the investment world, so let's crack right into the news. With the Fed raising interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point last week, economists, policymakers, and investors are discussing the terminal rate. The terminal rate is defined as the peak in the federal funds rate, or the point where rates stop increasing before the Fed begins reducing rates again. Why is the terminal rate important? The terminal rate is not just a number. It's a planning point for a lot of consumers because interest rates have consequences. For households, interest rates will influence credit cards, savings accounts, auto loans, and mortgages. An uncertain terminal rate can complicate the decision to make a big purchase, like a car or a house. The Fed has targeted a benchmark rate of near 3.5% this year, and possibly as high as 4% in 2023, before lowering rates again. Recall that the latest rate increase brings the range to 2.25% to 2.5%. This implies that rates still have a ways to go before the terminal rate is reached. Recently, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell emphasized that the Fed goal of reaching 3.5% at year's end is a moving target, meaning that it could very well change. Powell declined to say what he personally thinks the terminal rate will be, but emphasized that updated projections will be given in the September meeting with the benefit of more economic data. The Fed's long-term objective is to achieve inflation of about 2%. In a surprise move, a big piece of economic legislation made headway this week. Dubbed the Inflation Reduction Act, the bill provides spending over the next 10 years with a focus on energy, the climate, and health care. Let's discuss this bill, how the money will be spent, who benefits, and how it will be paid for. The bill targets at least $260 billion in new spending, including tax credits to increase production of electricity from renewable or non-carbon emitting sources, costing $98 billion. 
new and expanded tax credits for electric vehicle purchases and for improving the energy efficiency of homes, costing $51 billion. An incentive and tax credit for companies developing biofuels and other renewable fuels for cars and planes, costing $19 billion. New and expanded subsidies to bring down the cost of buying health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, costing $70 billion. The big winners are electric vehicle manufacturers and suppliers, green energy infrastructure companies, and, to a much smaller degree, the fossil fuel industry. The bill would require the Interior Department to allow for oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico and the Cook Inlet in Alaska, as well as expand tax credits for carbon capture technology that could allow coal or gas-burning power plants to operate, albeit with lower emissions. So, how is this bill paid for? By introducing a new federal minimum income tax of 15% on companies' profits, which is anticipated to generate $313 billion in new revenue. Closing a tax loophole used by private equity and hedge fund managers to pay lower taxes on some compensation, expected to generate an additional $13 billion in revenue and by allowing the government to negotiate and in some cases set prescription drug prices for people enrolled in Medicare. Estimated savings, $266 billion. On the whole, the Inflation Reduction Act is a big move forward for clean energy initiatives, but Will it live up to its name and actually reduce inflation? This is still unknown, and there are many, many opinions. A study by the Wharton School, the business school of the University of Pennsylvania, found that inflation would slightly increase for the next two years due to the act, but then lead to lower prices. What a difference a month makes. The market had a big rally in June, with the S&P 500 up almost 8% last month. But is the rebound the start of the next bull market, or just a bear market rally? A common rule of thumb. A new bull market is defined as a 20% gain from the market's low. A bear market rally also known as a bear trap, is a market rally often characterized by a swift increase in stock prices with investors buying up the most beaten down companies, assuming the worst is over, only to see the market fall again. When I was trading, we called this a dead cat bounce. Bear market rallies tend to be short-lived and end almost as quickly as they started. Big bear market rallies are no guarantee of a bottom or of a market turn. 
previous bear market rallies in 1973, 1978, and 2000 saw numerous rallies between their start and finish, with maximum gains of 15.9%, 14.3%, and 15.5% respectively. During the three years of the dot-com era in the early 2000s, the NASDAQ 100 index had nine monthly rallies of more than 10% before a bottom was formed and the market turned around. Investment professionals look for certain technical signs before confirming a reversal is underway. For example, the number of stocks participating in the rebound, the time it takes for the upward move, and the price gains associated with it. Faced with the worst first half for stocks and bonds in half a century, the highest inflation in 40 years, and increasingly bad economic data, investors, well, they might be excused for searching for bargains amid the market rubble and assuming most of the damage is done. Wall Street professionals cannot agree if we are currently turning the corner, as some see indications that we have not yet hit lows for stocks and there may be more pain ahead. Interestingly, the market has entered its seasonal down period. In August and September, over the last 25 years, have averaged 0.6% and 0.7% declines, respectively. Market volatility can also increase before an election, which, well, we have one coming later this fall. So how do you play it? Focus on high-quality stocks and bonds. And recall the dollar cost averaging strategy discussed in earlier WIP episodes. Investing a static amount over a set period will help reduce volatility in the short term and add to gains in the long term. For more, message me at investwithwalter.com. Next week, the WIP takes a break. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you in two weeks.